weekdays 10 to 5 or by appointment at 96 Main Street in Belfast, 338-6465 or thebelfastframer.com. Some like it hot, and some like it cool. Hi, I'm Larry. Whichever way you like it, you'll love Jazz Straight Ahead. So join me Wednesdays, 6 to 8 p.m. That's Jazz Straight Ahead. Just Jazz, Real Jazz. Wednesdays, 6 to 8, on WERU-FM. Support for WERU health-related programming comes from the Penobscot Bay Press, committed to providing community news and information, publishing three weekly newspapers, the Weekly Packet, Island Advantages, the Castine Patriot, the annual Bay Community Register, the Summer Seasonal Guide, and more. Also on the web at www.penobscotbaypress.com. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 102.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Healthy Options with Andre Bella is up next. Hi, I'm Andre Bella for Healthy Options. I'm your host today. Um, Healthy Options is a program that addresses integrative health therapies. Um, today we're going to be talking with three folks from the New Forest Institute from Brooks. This is uh, a call-in show, so we're hoping that all of you will call in with your questions. We'll open up the lines at about the half hour, and, uh, and we hope that you will call in and talk to all the three folks that we have here this morning. I'm going to let them all introduce themselves, and so you'll have some idea of what their backgrounds are, and then we're going to talk quite extensively about New Forest Institute. Julia, would you like to start? Sure. Welcome. Thank you, Andre. Welcome to all of you. Um, my name's Julia Yelton, and I'm originally from Australia, where I pretty much for a big chunk of my life was um, in architectural, ceramic, and landscape design. And uh, always interested from very early days of growing food and landscaping, uh, gardening per se. And I got very interested in the early days of permaculture in Australia, uh, listening to Bill Mollison on the radio when I was down in my ceramic studio at nights, uh, listening to this crazy guy carrying on about how nobody on this planet really needs to go hungry. There, there are very practical and um, eloquent methods that we can design for human sustainability. And this really hit a very uh, soft core within me and I uh, became very involved in the whole permaculture design issue and eventually moved and uh, did my training and lived on the permaculture village in uh, Queensland, Australia, Crystal Waters Permaculture Village, where uh, my present husband and I began teaching, designing and uh, consulting with permaculture. Um, that began in 1991 for us, our training and, and living on the village. And from there we started travelling and working in many third world countries and finally ended up on the east coast of uh, America where we set up a demonstration home in Whitefield, Maine. And people often say, well, especially back then, this was like the late 90s, 98 or so, 
uh, why permaculture in Maine? And uh, we realise that in the third world countries it was one thing to help with sustainable issues, but pretty much these people still today have to live sustainably. And what we saw out of... Um, those early times, especially for permaculture here on the East Coast, was that we needed to really get more into the consciousness of the people that were using a lot of the energy issues on this planet. And so, you know, we started our way back then uh, doing small workshops and um, finally getting to the stage of running what's known as the standard PDC course, Permaculture Design Certificate course. And uh, as a result, ended up being happily um, in a relationship with New Forest here in Brooks, which has been mm -hmm. going for a couple of years now, a teaching institute. Well, thank you. It's very nice to have you on the radio show this morning. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Um, Lauren. Good morning. My name is Lauren Bayofsky, and I'm one of the newest members of the New Forest team here this morning. Um, I've been here in Maine just over um, a month, or almost two months, I guess. And I actually grew up in New Jersey, and my sort of roots there um, really led me into the work here at New Forest um, in the sense that when I was growing up in New Jersey in the early 80s, it was a very rural area, and we had um, a pig farm across the street, and we're surrounded by fields and forests, and that's really where I grew up, was out in the woods and out in the farms. And since then, really in the past um, 20, 25 years, I've seen it switch, and I've seen the houses come in, and I've seen the strip malls come in, and see us really lose a lot of our native plants and our native forests. So I, um, from New Jersey, I went into the environmental field and um, went to school in southern New Jersey for environmental studies and went on to do graduate work at, at UNH, which brought me to New England. And all the while I was spending a lot of time learning about the technicalities of the environmental problems, which were then leading to health issues um, here in the Northeast. And sort of along the way, um, stumbled back into farming and learned about organic gardening and really started to see growing food and growing medicinal plants, which is a particular interest of mine as a way that we could sort of get back to some of the things that I had seen us lose in New Jersey. So from there, I really um, just sort of dove in headfirst and have been really excited to be a part of what's turning into be a big movement, both on the, the food front, but also on the health front. So it's been very exciting to sort of see a lot of veils lifted as I've been going through um, these different experiences um, at the University of New Hampshire. And after that, I went on to study medicinal herbs um, in southern New Hampshire and then in Vermont for a time um, and spent some time working at D. Acres Organic Farm and Educational Center, which is in um, sort of the central White Mountain New Hampshire, region of New Hampshire. Um, and as I said, just came to New Forest pretty recently. So looking forward to the, the season here and hopefully can bring some of what I've learned um, to the area. Thank you, and thank you for being here. So it's my understanding, Julia, you're uh, kind of the, the 
permaculture expert with a lot of experience to bring to New Forest. Is that right? And and then I think I see Lauren. You're you're. What's your official title at? Um, New Forest Institute. Um, my You're in charge of the garden. Title basically. is um, garden manager. I'm one yes. of the two garden managers there. Okay, and we also have Kimberly with us. So Kimberly, tell us um, a little bit about yourself. I'm Kimberly Callis, and I'm an artist. I was uh, raised in Northern Michigan, uh, very similar landscape as uh, Brooks, Maine, where New Forest, um, one of their centers, is located. Um, I was raised with a family of um, artists and land people, um, and I studied uh, figurative sculpture at, then at the University of Michigan and uh, went on to New York City to get my master's degree in uh, figurative sculpture. Um, from, from there, uh, let's see, how does this work? Well, one of the things with studying figure and my interest with the figure is the, the human uh, spirit and how that comes through in uh, sculpture and how we talk about our relationship with um, with God and how how the sculpture of the human body is really about the human spirit and I think that's one of the one of the veins that really drew me to my work at New Forest. Thank you and welcome. We're happy to have you here on Healthy Options this morning. Um, what I, I had um, quite an extensive uh, get-together with uh, the three of you last week, and it was really inspiring. I had a wonderful time. I learned an enormous amount. And part of what I got from that is that um, not only is New Forest Institute about agriculture and permaculture, but there's also this element in addition to doing an organic gardening thing of, of the importance of consciousness and raising the human consciousness and also the importance of art mm -hmm. in that part of it. And that to me was very touching and it was very meaningful and it struck home to me that yes, this is the right uh, combination of body, mind, spirit that we need to bring together so that we're not segmenting things into agriculture, consciousness raising, art. We can bring this all together in one um, one viewpoint and one perspective. Am I, am I, did you teach me well? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Well, um, for the people who might have just uh, tuned in, this is Healthy Options. And today we're talking to three people from the New Forest Institute in Brooks. And uh, they've been telling me a little bit about themselves. And this is a call-in show, so at the half hour. Um, I will give you that line now if you want to write it down. It's a toll-free number, and it's 8 Six 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 two five nine three seven eight, and we will be do taking calls at the half hour. So let's just start right at the beginning with that big question: What what is New Forest Institute? And I'll just let any of you chime in on that one and and tell us a little history and background of the New Forest Institute. Well, I, yeah, I think that it's from its background that you can understand a little bit of what New Forest Institute is about. Um, the idea for it started around the table of Andrea and Russell Reed in Jersey City. Um, one of the great things about Andrea's table is that she always had a lot of interesting people around, and um, so there was a lot of interesting conversation, and what, what was great about the group was it was really mixed. Uh, there were doctors and lawyers, there were monks, priests, rabbis, uh, a whole bunch of artists and poets. Uh, Andrea herself is a poet, uh, Wall Street guys. And, and so, but what was neat about that was we realized we were, 
we started talking about our uh, similar concerns, even though we were all in very different fields. We all started asking, what's happening to our food? What's going on with our education? Um, why are we all so separated in our fields? And um, we started to see that there were all kinds of connections that had been severed. And we realized that we, as people, could remake these connections. And we could work together within our different fields. We could bring together um, all the land issues and um, uh, through, with our, um, with, through each of these different backgrounds. And so we started to have this idea of putting together an institute. <laughs> and um, we, through that, we started figuring out that, well, we really, it really needs to be uh, place-based. And we really needed to start with the land and um, we had um, places up here in Maine uh, that we all kind of had had some ideas about what we, you know, would do there, maybe retire one day. Or <laughs> anyway, we ended up mm -hmm. all moving. And, and, um, and now we have this great uh, program through the schools program called the Urban Rural Program that comes out of that relationship with Jersey City, our original, where the idea originally came, and to this very rural place in Brooks. And um, that's us making one of those connections. We felt there was a huge split between the urban and rural. There was no understanding of where the food came from anymore in the rural, um, where there used to be markets and you know the chickens used to be live in the markets. There was a much more mm -hmm. um, pronounced connection in the city than there there is now. And um, but even what what's surprising is even in the rural there's such a separation. And what's nice about Brooks is that separation isn't so big. So we're also really talking about community as well. Yes. And and that that adds some more to the package. So we have agriculture, we have consciousness, we have art, and we have community. What a what a rich environment to develop and an institute. Mm -hmm. um, tell me. And so, how long has New Forest Institute been in its physical location now? I think it's been three years. Close. Close, mm -hmm. close to three mm -hmm. years, yeah. And and do you have a mission? Can you kind of tell us what your mission statement would be? I, I, you kind of touched on that, but give it to us one more time for people who are just tuning in the show. I would say that our mission is to reconnect um, people's relationship with the land and one another through the human community. And it's through the human that this, that this mm -hmm. um, transformation needs to happen because you can... You can apply healing to a piece of land and even to a community, but if the healing doesn't happen within the individual, we'll just destroy again. So that's our uh, our goal. Now, I, I have been... Just say that's uh, what we're learning. Yeah, we're, all, we're always learning all the time. Um, I have been up to the New Forest Institute now uh, three times, and I learn something new every time I've been there. I've been there for two potluck suppers, and um, it was very informative, and people were very, very kind and welcoming. And we got a wonderful tour of the whole facility and your plans for the future and things that you've already gotten started. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting. I think listeners might be interested in knowing what that piece of land was before you came there. Mm. <coughs> uh, two and a half years ago, um, I met... Um, Sorry. Um, uh, two and a half years ago, I was uh, Charles and I were invited to come. Um, Kimberly met us at a, a peace 
conference where I was speaking up at UMO, and um, they uh, she she forwarded sort of um, an idea that uh, they had all all of them were already at New Forest and creating the first foundation, building the farmhouse there. And now, did did they know at that point that it was going to be permaculture, or was that was it this idea from around the kitchen table people were sort of coming to? Actually, we had just recently been interviewed by Mofka, uh, Charles and I, at mm-hmm. our own home in Whitefield uh, about the whole permaculture issue and what we did with permaculture up in the northeast. And I believe the New Forest crew were aware of that. And and Kimberly said, you know, we'd really like you to come out and look at this property and it's going to be uh, developed into this teaching, you know, um, nature-based community and uh, the thing was that when Charles and I went out and saw this piece of land and (laughs) spent this whole whole day bush bashing our way through this dreadful overcut, uh, logged out, sad scarred piece of land. How uh, many acres are there altogether? Altogether in that area, there's 270 now connected, uh, contiguous pieces about. Um, And initially, um, the group just wanted us to sort of take hold of this face to the community, which is about nine and a half acres. And and just even trying to sort of get an idea (laughs) of how the land laid beneath this really terrible um, scarred. Uh, there was a gravel pit that was left and, and overgrown with brambles. There was uh, soil, topsoil had been taken off the front piece of the land where they majorly really wanted to do a beautiful garden as an interface to the Brooks community there. And all I could think was, I'm so glad this is not my land. <laughs> <laughs> well, now tell me, wasn't there a, a motorcycle repair business right. there? Right. And, yeah. The old lavender barn, which is still there, mm-hmm. um, a landmark in the in the Brooks community, uh, was a motorbike shop and goodness knows, you know, parking lot. Um, we As we've gardened there, we still keep pulling pieces of motorbikes out of the land. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's pretty amazing when you hear the history of it. um, And you think, well, if a group of people can get together around a kitchen table in New Jersey and they can brainstorm and dream and think about the world the way we would, you know, like to see it and then make that idea come up to Maine and then have this piece of land, which it sounds kind of desperate yeah. and and have you you look at it and if um I hope that all of you who are listening to the show will go up to New Forest Institute and see what they have done they are just in in the beginning stages of this the 9 acres that's on the front by the road but the gardens are are truly phenomenal um they have a it, I love that um poster that you have with the pictures and it shows what it looked like um last spring let's say if we took it back to Mm. last march tell us a little bit about um between march of last year and september of last year just talk about that time frame a little bit what happened during that time because i think this is an amazing story charles and i joined you in new forest during that winter um we came on board as staff that winter with the idea of really pulling forward um the gardens and 
we the previous summer we had helped during teaching a course there to uh, pull the food forest, um, the very foundation of the food forest into being at the back of the property. And um, that was that was a major structural piece for New Forest that previous summer to clear this logged out area, to dig these ponds, um, to create the groundwork for permaculture sort of gardens to happen. And so the previous year was very much about that, that very hard area of work on the landscape. And then um, when Charles and I were called in, we our job as permaculture designers is to look at the lay of the land and work with all the natural nuances of that land and of course connect what is going to be going on there, all the people that inhabit that land and of course at New Forest it's it's a very multifaceted um, place with people doing interesting things on different levels so all of that has to be taken into account of how it's going to best um, optimize so how the human yeah, interaction that, interfaces with the, nat natural with world. the natural world yeah. and really that's kind of what we're talking about here yeah we're talking about that for the benefit of the yeah. natural world and the benefit of the human beings as well right this right. connecting connecting right. it up together yeah. um talk a, a little bit about uh, i guess what i I, what I loved yeah. was the story of how the the gardens in the front, what you started with, and yeah. and how it changed during that yeah. summer. Well, how um, did you do that? How did you make this uh, parking lot <laughs> into the, the a garden? Pre the previous fall, when we knew we were going to get these gardens up and running the next year, um, even before we were actually staff, um, and we were sort of just sort of giving them the guidelines step by step of what to do next to fulfill the design. Um, I'm thinking, how are we going to turn this parking lot into a beautiful garden? And um, they were having the ponds dug over that winter and out of the ponds came this amazing dark black peat. So that, those were the ponds back yes, in the woods? Yes, yes. And, okay. and there's, it turned out there's a, just a natural huge amount of spring heads that flow through that back part of the property which we couldn't tell for the the, the logging that was left um, the clear cut that was done and um, so this we said spread that peat just spread it over the front and uh, so so that came from the ponds that, that were came dug from in the, the back, ponds and you just brought it up to the front and spread it over the parking lot we really didn't want to have to bring in loam because that's not part of the prin principles of permaculture mm -hmm. it's it's work with what you've got build on what you've got create out of what you've got well and i love that because it, it gives the idea to you know myself and to people listening that anybody can do this yeah. on on some level whether yeah. it means you have a small garden in your backyard or you're doing something larger or you're doing yeah. something within your community that you can actually do this with what you have yeah yeah now pete being great organic matter is not highly nutritious uh, we had to build on that peat. So we did two or three green manure crops over buckwheat and, and oats and rye over the winter. And so when we appeared on deck last spring, um, we had that soil spaded to loosen it up and we drew the design. Uh, people are mm -hmm. sort of surprised that we've got this lovely circular design with our beds. Um, and with lime, we literally drew the design, cut the pond in, and all sort of hands on deck, we helped to create the design by digging the paths. We don't necessarily 
turn the soil as such in permaculture. The less we can disrupt a natural system, the more nature can sort of come in and work with that natural system. So the, this is a no-till, basically a no-till yes. way of agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was really fascinated last week when we were talking about the, and, and maybe Lauren, you would like to speak to this also, about um, the idea that instead of having a rectangular garden that has rows in it, um, it we're all we're kind of talking about what Kimberly's saying of, of the artistic and the imitating nature. So how, how have you incorporated that in the gardens that you presently manage? In the garden beds directly, as Julia mentioned, if you come and see and walk through the gardens, there's, with the exception of the greenhouse, hardly a straight line that you can take from one point in the garden to another. And that on a sort of scientific, um, ecological side that really benefits um, the organisms that are present in the garden. A big part of permaculture is really creating a garden ecosystem. So we are growing food and medicinal plants, but we're also creating habitat for pollinating insects and butterflies and birds and particularly microorganisms and worms and the life that's in the soil that we don't always see. So the more edges that we create, the more biodiverse habitats we're also creating. That sort of allows more space and more varied environments and these little microcosms for other organisms to exist. And it's also on the human spirit side, it feels very different if you walk down a straight line to get anywhere. That sort of mirrors what a lot of us do in our daily lives. Just we have to get from point A to point B and don't look at anything in between. But in the gardens, we've really created something different. Um, when you walk through a meandering path that's lined on either side by flowers and fruit and vegetables and butterflies, it's just a different world. It's a different level of spiritual connection that we get to see in other places. Mm -hmm. So, Well, and I, I noticed two little things that I picked up from our conversation last week, that there are some, uh, also some very practical elements about that, because if your beds are... Um, narrow enough so that you can reach in from either side, then you don't have to actually step on your good soil that you're working. So you're never really stepping on the soil that's mm. part of your garden bed. Mm. Um, and I had asked this other question last week is, why do all those permaculture people have those raised beds? What is that thing about the raised beds? I don't really get that. And, and Julia, you were talking about how all of this was laid out um, the peat and everything and it set for a while and then you took the limestone and, and drew the paths and then by shoveling everything that was in the path up on the bed mm. of course it makes it a raised bed yeah. and you're making the most of the soil that you have because then what you're walking on in the garden is like the old motorcycle yeah. driveway yeah. which <laughs> is a good thing to be walking yeah. on yeah. because you're making full use of all of all of yes. your soil at topsoil so finite no matter where you are in the world mm -hmm. um, that why walk on this precious little few inches of of good organic matter and all of those organisms in that topsoil and so also the sheet mulching which is a method of covering the soil. Uh, nowhere in nature does do you see bare soil. Only man um, mm -hmm. agriculturally made um, grounds do you see it bare. And we have this um, preoccupation with ripping everything out of the ground. And what's happening is at, we're actually taking the life force with what we call weeds away from the soil. 
with permaculture, when we lay sheet mulch, we put it right over all the sod, all the weeds. Um, we're matting out. That, that material becomes part of the natural system and breaks down as um, nitrogen in the soil. And it also encourages a lot more uh, life to happen in that soil. So does that mean during the summer in, in your gardens, you're not weeding per se, you're, no. you're mulching? Yes. Okay, just so continuously... if a little weed is growing up, you're dumping something yes. on top of it and yeah. saying, yeah. down boy. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and what, what, do you, what do you mulch with? Um, we do whatever's available uh, locally. We've got, um, we did layer, we've got a lot of donkey manure just very close at hand with a, um, a yeah. lady down the road in Brooks. Right. And so we laid masses amounts of the old, old uh, decayed manure she had as a base layer to help put nutrient back into that peat. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we did um, paper and straw and any compost material that we had. We didn't have Are nearly enough. Are you talking about newspaper? Newspaper. And, yeah. was, and was this, did you do the newspaper in, in the fall? That's not happening in the summer, right? That's happening in the fall? Ideally, when, when we work with people, we suggest that you do it in the fall so it can sit all winter long, mm -hmm. like this year. Uh, Bill and Lauren have been able to go out and just, we've already got a lot of seedlings already just straight into that beautiful warm sheet mulch bed. Okay. And um, that newspaper just disintegrates into the... It does, yeah. 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 And at the end of the season, you can patch areas that you think might be a weed problem. But the more that you don't have weeds competing and they're not never allowed to go to seed in the garden, right. the less you have to keep... You, the only weeds become your own plants multiplying, literally. <laughs> right. um, so so are, you're mulching on top of those weeds and... What and you're mulching with what material? Um, we're doing um, compost out of the bins with um, a little infusion, a homeopathic infusion, if you like, of um, uh, again a local source, Mark Fulford, who's a well-known mm -hmm. soil agronomist in the area, has a wonderful mix called Waldo mix that he's put together as a um, a very valuable um, component of trace elements mm -hmm. and we infect each of the areas that we need to build up with that mix. Wonderful. Yeah. I just want to remind all our listeners that this is Healthy Options and we're talking to three people from the New Forest Institute in Brooks. Uh, this is a call-in show. Um, we will be taking calls after our break and that number is 866 625-9378. We've been talking about permaculture, uh, consciousness, art, community, and all kinds of incredible subjects here. So um, we will be taking a little break shortly, and when we come back from that break, um, we will be taking your calls. So um, let's continue a little bit. Um, Andre, can I just add in one yes. thing before we get on to another topic? I wanted to share with listeners that we do have a few opportunities coming up at New Forest for folks to come and learn through some hands-on classes the sheet mulching and permaculture principles that Julia's been sharing with everyone. Great. This is a good time to bring um, those up. We do have on June 6th, we're doing a one-day workshop. Um, myself and Bill, my partner and co-garden manager, 
we'll be doing a home-scale permaculture gardening workshop. So that's a great sort of introduction to permaculture, and people who have gardens or are hoping to have gardens in the future are invited to come and learn how to do the sheet mulching um, practices that Julia were speaking about. We'll also do things like um, companion planting practices and crops particularly suited to growing up here in Maine. Um, season extension will be a part of it. Um, natural ways to boost your soil fertility and encourage beneficial insects and pollinators to your garden. So really sort of an all-around um, get-your-garden-going sort of workshop. Mm -hmm. And again, that's June 6th, which is a Saturday. And would you give the contact information for New Forest Institute? I know you have a great website. And sure, yeah, yeah. Please visit our website. And our calendar is up on the website, so you can find out more about all these workshops and events there as well. The workshop or the website is newforestinstitute.org. And you can also contact us at info at newforestinstitute.org. And for those of you who would prefer to contact us by phone, you can reach us at 722-3625. Right. And one more thing I'll plug quickly is a permaculture design course that Charles and Julia are offering at New Forest. And this is also in June, the 9th through the 21st. It's a two-week design certification course. So for folks who are really interested in um, full-on studying permaculture, um, learning how to incorporate these practices into their daily lives, um, where you're encouraged to call or visit the website to learn more about the permaculture course as well. Thanks very much. We're going to take a very short break, and we just want to remind folks that this is a call-in show. The number is 866-625-9378. So please, after the break, join us. Thank you. the options and we are talking to um, three people from the New Forest Institute in Brooks. This is a call-in show. I want to remind all of you the number is 866-625-9378 and we do have a caller on the line. Welcome. You have a question? Uh, yes, it's uh, kind of a two-fold question and each part has nothing to do with the other so you can do what you want with it. But question number one is I heard a lot about spirituality, consciousness, uh, God was mentioned. So my first question is how is, if at all, um, God intertwined in New Forest? That's my first question. And the second question I have that has nothing to do with the first question that I always was curious about 
is uh, I used to live in California for many years, and uh, and obviously there's a lot of farmland and, and use of the land. And I've always been amazed since I've been here in Maine um, of the lack of use of of farmland. And I was wondering if any, if any of your guests had a historical point of view of why there's such a small amount of uh, the land used for farming in this area when, from what I understand, it used to be used um, quite extensively. Thank you. Those are great questions, and I'll, I'll just repeat those for the listeners. Um, the first one was, uh, how is God or the idea of God intertwined at in the mission statement or philosophy of the New Forest Institute? Well, I think that mm-hmm. that, I could probably talk to that. Sure, Kimberly, <laughs> go ahead. Um, that has to do with how in, uh, New Forest is has been unfolding and and also part of its mission in the sense that um, the, the way that we need to go forward with healing and making these connections is very, it's very specific. It's very land specific, but it's also very uh, specific to each human being. And I think each, uh, Bill McKibben talks about, he's, um, he wrote uh, uh, Cradle to Cradle, uh, which is how, you know, like closing the loop with our, our, our waste. And, um, and, and one of the things that he said about uh, what was going on with the, the cycles of the earth right now is that there isn't one solution, but that there's a million solutions uh, in each place. And I think the millions solutions that he's talking about are the people, you know, and from within the people. And the way that, um, that it, it's happened for us, specifically um, the, the, the people who are working with New Forest, and the way that, that I don't see any other way of finding out how you are this gift and and how you carry this solution to the world than um, than through your relationship with um, God. That's that's how like we've been led forward, um, and we all have um, you know different understandings of what that is. Um, but it's very specific in the sense that we really pay attention to that, and we really pay attention to what New Forest itself needs to be because it's very specific. And I think that each one of us um, are, are sort of called in that way. Thank you. And the second part, did you want to add something to that, Julia? No, the second, the second part. Okay, the second part um, was also a very good question, and it um, speaks to the question of the, the lack of use of farmland in a rural area like Maine, and why, why is that? And we used to have so many farms here, and why um, don't we have as much of that farmland being used as farmland now? You know, I think um, that sort of is a little bit, very, it's a very different issue in Maine. We, we, have, we have many, many, many small home-based farmers. In fact, the number is growing at a rapid rate in relationship to farming per capita in Maine and the rest of the country. I just saw a scale uh, just recently, and Maine's right up there with small-time people growing on a very individual and niche sort of levels. And I think this is is wonderful to see because I think this is the practice that we have to head for. We have to get back to... Uh, really bio-regional, local, um, uh, niche sort of 
areas, a bit like in Italy, where, you know, each region has its particular um, products it sells. And, you know, the small-time farmers in Maine are fighting to keep um, this relationship on this very small, much smaller scale level. So what seems to be uh, a diminishing pattern, I don't think is actually the case. And uh, the huge organic movement which started here in Maine with Mofka 34 years ago is a really great example of the force that's behind that, uh, that individual movement, if you like. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I, I'll even speak to this because I'm a farmer myself and I've been involved with Mofka for about 25 years now. And I think historically um, what happened was we had agribusiness coming in and providing uh, food for people in the United States and that food was produced outside New England, um, sometimes at very, very great distances away. And through the use, we got kind of hung up on all those um, fertilizers and pesticides and certainly if you read The Omnivore's Dilemma, mm-hmm. Michael Pollan, mm-hmm. um, you read King Corn. There are several books out, Bill McKibben's books as well. Um, you can see that agribusiness for a time period, we got quite enamored with that yeah. because it was cheap food. We weren't concerned about the pesticides and so on. And we shipped it and those little farmers went out of business. Yeah. I would say that in the 25 years I've been here, um, things have been steadily toward the organic, but in the last five years, the whole thing has totally changed. Yes. It has changed enormously. Yes. I know I'm working on a, a new project at my farm, and I am working with Mark Fulford, who I've known for many years, and he said, you know, if you wanted to do this program, uh, this project five years ago, you know, it would, be kind of, it would be kind of tough going looking at what your market is going to be. But he said right now is perfect. And mm-hmm. if we look at all the statistics, um, the number of small farms in Maine is going up very rapidly yeah. right now because people want to be independent yeah. of their food. They don't want to be dependent on food being trucked in from Iowa. I mean, it's a safety, it's a security thing, it's a community thing. It's about the farmer with a face that Michael Pollan talked about so much. People want to know where their food is coming from. There are also, I'd like to give a plug for some other organizations in Maine that are doing a wonderful job. There's um, the Maine Farmlands Trust. Uh, located right in Belfast, that does a lot with people who own farmland and want to uh, have that farmland continue to be used as farmland. They have a wonderful program called uh, Links, where they link up young farmers. There is not enough farmland for the number of young farmers coming in right now who actually want to farm. So Maine Farmlands Trust has done a lot of creative work with young farmers and older farmers that have land. Um, The other project that I'm involved with is Maine Farmers for the Future. Um, They do wonderful work helping uh, farmers do um, business plans because, you know, farmers like to grow things, but we don't know a whole lot about all that paperwork and everything that you need if you want to go to a bank or some kind of investor to help you get started. So there are these incredible programs around the state of Maine quite the hot topic. Um, Local agriculture is definitely coming into its own. The growth of the number of CSAs and the growth in number of people, individual people, that are taking gardening and farming classes this year is is phenomenal. The seed companies have had um, increases. They've doubled a lot of their orders and seeds. So there's definitely a change. Like Kimberly was talking about the human consciousness. People are getting involved. They're interested in community. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, Also, I want... um, 
and the way that this is uh, related to human change in e the economy and how we have to think about our economy's difference. This is a huge part of New Forest and how we think of ourselves as kind of an applied research center. Uh, because if you want to start us, we have like some of the youngest farmers in, in the United States. But these farmers are realizing like what it means to live as a farmer. I mean, you're basically sacrificing, uh, you know, you're not going to be getting these huge riches right away. And, and one of the things that we have to pay attention to is, or one of the things we're learning is how to redefine uh, wealth. Mm -hmm. And that, that's, that's a huge transformation. You that know? is a huge. We have another person on the line. Um, go ahead with your question. Thanks for calling us. Yes, yeah, not really. Well, I guess it could be a question. Am I on the air? Yes, you are. Go ahead. Yeah, my name is Frank from Lemoyne, and I just met with a group of people Monday, and we're in the planning stages of starting a, I hate to use the word, soup kitchen, but a community cafe, I think is a better word. Well, great. It would be nice to have the farming community uh, get involved with the food part of it so we don't have to just be serving macaroni and cheese from the, the food bank. There's nothing wrong with the food bank. When people are hungry, people are hungry. Um, there's one that started just recently, uh, this winter down on Blue Hill, I think they do it once a week. And they're trying to serve good food. And it'd be nice to get the good food aspect into the the serving of people. This is in the planning stages, but we're trying to get it off the ground for here in Ellsworth. I'm so glad you're bringing up this topic. Yeah. I think that's a huge topic, Frank, and that's a great thing that you have a wonderful vision. When I was at UNH um, on the seacoast of New Hampshire, we were working on the organic farm on campus there, and it was largely student-run, um, a lot of really excited, ambitious young farmers. And a group of us really felt that farming um, was, we wanted to do more with the food. Um, so we actually started doing community dinners, both in town, in the town of Durham, and also at a local homeless shelter. And so we would get produce from the garden that we would grow and just use it whatever was in season to prepare meals for this dinner um, in town and then also to cook food and make donations um, for the folks over in Portsmouth um, at the Crossroads House shelter. So it's something um, I would imagine that a lot of farmers would be really excited to help out um, particularly there are things you can do um, you can talk to I mean Maybe follow up with us at the New Forest Institute. You can give us a call or email to talk further about it. Um, again, our contact info, 722-3625 is our phone number. Or you can reach us through our website, newforestinstitute.org. Um, but talk to farmers about um, trying to connect either after markets or on certain harvest days. And I would imagine that you'd find a good number of people who are really willing to help out and help you um, find local fresh food for people. I think that's really important. I mean, the broader topic that you know comes up here is that everyone should have fresh local food. I mean, it's not a privilege. It should be something that everyone has access to. And I think that's a big part of what we want to do at New Forest is we want to feed people and we want to feed people healthy, nourishing food that's really going to help everyone thrive physically, but spiritually as well. 
So if we and can be of further help, please do contact us. And the garden is a good example of a, a, a healthy economy in the sense that you plant enough for yourself to eat, you plant enough to sell and to live off of, and but then there's always some extra, extra. to give mm -hmm. away. Yeah. And you should always be sort of giving some away. And I'd like to just comment on, on what Andre just said of the change in the last five or six years. Oh, it's phenomenal. phenomenal. Yeah. And one of our students in Portland, Maine, who's who did a, the course with us three years ago and is particularly passionate about the urban issue. We also uh, interface with the urban community. It's not just farmland, that all urban areas are potentially food growing and energy saving areas, in fact, more so than even in the country. And uh, uh, Lisa Fernandes down there in Portland started up a permaculture meetup group which now tips over 500 signed up members and they run amazing talks and practical workshops and just work days to help each other with projects, be it water issues, energy issues, building issues, uh, design issues and we run courses through the meetup group as well. Um, and now that is fractioned off into two new groups forming just recently on the mid coast and the southern coast. So it really speaks to us of the demand and it's a lot of um, people from Maine traditionally but also a lot of new people coming in that are looking at Maine as really a safe haven for food in a big way. So, Frank, thank you so much for that question because I think that really um, addresses the issue that is right mm. front and center right now for us here in Maine. We are very... Go ahead. Also, sometimes there's a stigma and a myth that organic or good food is more expensive than lousy food, um, which is a myth in yeah. my mind. Um, but that, that that's something to overcome, especially when we're... You, know, you might be feeding hungry people um, from the, the economy is so bad there's a lot more hungry people now so it's across all lines um, but there's a myth that you know that they just go to the you go to the grocery store and you buy it out of the box it's cheaper which is not cheaper no. we know that. that's right we do know that in packaged items in the supermarket approximately 60 percent of the cost is actually in the packaging not not in the food um, and I think that I'm glad you brought up the uh, issue of organic, because I think that when I read um, Michael Pollan's book, The Omnivore's Dilemma, um, he really talked about how, um, and Mark Fulford talks about this a lot too, the word organic really tells you what something is not. It says this is a food that's grown without pesticides, but it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee nutrition, and that doesn't mean that organic food isn't nutrition, but I think we're, we're moving into a more positive, inclusive direction about what is the nutrition of that food, I, I guess I can't say assuming that we're not going to use toxic things in our food, but we certainly would like to get to that point. So thank you very much, Frank, for that question. We have another call coming in. Good morning. We have a caller there. I think with the issue of organics, um, oh, we do have a caller. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, good morning. Thanks for calling. Yes, this is Lawton from Penobscot. I'm a small farmer and an acupuncturist, and I, I really appreciate your, your show. And I mean, this is just so wonderful because I think for a lot of us as farmers, especially men, 
know, we want big tractors and we want to to tear things up. Um, I'm a small hay farmer and, you know, I think we've found that leaving hedgerows, I mean, this is some Mm. studies they did in in England, Mm. does a huge thing to bring, you know, positive weeds and and animals into the habitat of, of the hay farm. But unfortunately, so many farmers, even organic farmers, they want... They want mono hay crops, and they want to feed massive amounts of grain to their animals, which (laughs) causes mastitis and cystitis. And, you know, by working with the ecosystems like you guys are talking about and creating gardens that that work with nature and preserve ecosystems, it's just wonderful to hear. I I appreciate your your show so much. Thank you. Um, one thing that you will probably like, uh, Charles, uh, Julia's permaculture partner there, um, told me and, and drew me something. I wish I still had it because he said that often in the talks that you give, the issue comes up about large farms and using tractors and that kind of equipment. And Julia, could you speak to, to what Charles has designed for the field? I, I thought it was quite amazing. Yeah, um, you know, we often get this question, so, you know, it's all very well for the gardener, but what about the farmer who needs to grow huge amounts of crops? And uh, um, there's a beautiful system when we when we talk about design systems we talk about patterns in nature a lot with our classes and we we do a lot around observing uh, patterns in nature so that we can actually mimic nature no matter what the situation is and if you follow the contours of the land for example instead of you know plowing straight up and down a hill um, and beyond that even to be able to plough into uh, a natural uh, shape that a field is offering and you wind your way in in a spiral pattern wide enough that you can then turn around and wind your way out again with the tractor and leaving space for green manuring in between two separate rows of cropping and having the corners even of a field uh, left to the beneficial growing of um, plants and weeds and hedgerows, as you've talked about. Uh, At first, you know, farmers in Australia were flipped out about the land they were losing, but then their crops absolutely doubled by using this method. Yeah, one of the things we're, my partner is looking at now and is doing actually is taking crab waste and and compost and putting that, as you said, right on top of of the soil without tilling it. Yeah. And then putting sheet over the top of it and planting in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just, I really appreciate your discussion today. It's been wonderful. Oh, thank, thank you, so you very much. much. Thank <laughs> you. We appreciate you calling, yeah. too. Um, we do want to be sure to give all the contact information one more time since we're coming up to the end of the hour. So would one of you just like to do that one more time? Sure. You can find us on the web at newforestinstitute.org. You can also send us an email, info at newforestinstitute.org. And you can also contact us um, through the phone. Our number is 
3625. And when you visit our website, make sure you check out the events calendar page. We have um, the workshops I mentioned earlier, the one-day gardening workshop and the permaculture design course coming up. We also have a mushroom cultivation workshop this Saturday for edible mushrooms and um, some medicinal herb workshops coming up throughout the season and food preservation. So there's really a diverse group of workshops and events um, that we've got happening. So check them out online and come uh, out and see us. One thing that's in very early formative stage, Charles and I have just got back this last week from overseas teaching. And, you know, there's, um, we definitely want to be able to reach out to all parts of the community. So we've discussed with some of the New Forest people of perhaps running a weekly evening um, couple of hours for very little money where we can address a lot of the ongoing issues around the creative process, whether it's in the gardens or in writing or all of the different aspects of the, that the New Forest community bring together there. And so they, these could be offered um, by the end of this month, maybe the last week in May, ongoing through the summer. Uh, also, that's, that speaks to um, when... These new, these new forms of farming that are coming up and these new ways of living with the land that are being developed that are more productive than even the old traditional ways that didn't use pesticides and things like that. We're finding it's not about there, there, there is um, sort of this path that we need to take now where it's, it's not necessarily bringing everything from the past, you know, just going back to something that we used to do. Um, though, the, though we need to be informed by those things, and that's one of the reasons we're in Brooks, and there's a lot of information on that. But there's also new, new ways of farming that are producing um, more results. You know, we don't have to have people go hungry, and even, you know, like, like ways that we're growing rice now. I know Mark Fulford just came back from um, looking at ways that we thought, oh, rice just always grows in the water, and that's how it's harvested. And now they're finding ways of doing it, and they're getting, I don't know, the, the yields are incredible. And and we're just we're learning this through nature and how the rice actually wants to grow, and um, these are the things that we need to pay attention to. And it's through the creative process and working with the land and working with each other that we learn these things. And I just want to add too, when we speak about working with the land, that doesn't mean that you have to have extensive farmland or acreage to be able to do this. I think one of the things that's really overlooked when we talk about agricultural land in Maine and in the United States as a whole is all the area that's currently in lawns that we mow as grass and it's not really producing any food or medicine, but it certainly can. And I think the permaculture design principles are just wonderful for sort of making that transition and getting even, you know, little gardens, you know, a two by four garden in your yard is really a big deal when we're looking at this grand context of what we can do for food security and also for connecting people with the land. And of course, we've all got to live somewhere and at New Forest, we're very much into, um, Kimberly's husband has created a whole area of Green Build Maine, which is a, a thriving interesting, fascinating whole development going on from New Forest. Uh, Charles, in on the weekend of the 23rd, 24th, 22nd, 23rd, 24th, is holding a green building workshop where we're starting to create some ideas around very innovative natural hobbit house design. And that will be a series of three offered over the summer. 
Wonderful. So there are all kinds of ways that you can get involved. We only have about uh, a minute left, but I would like to say, how do you all envision New Forest Institute, let's say, five or ten years from now? What's the vision? Uh, uh, an incredibly thriving ecosystem which incorporates man and the natural world in the most astounding creative ways possible. I think it's important to say too we envision New Forest Institute growing beyond New Forest yes. Institute yeah. that it really is a community center in the sense that we want everyone to be a part of it and we you know we see ourselves as part of the whole community in which we live and that's really an integral part in everything that we're trying to do. And I know that you have other projects besides the permaculture, although they all are kind of intertwined. Well, our time is up. Uh, thank you very much, all three of you, for coming today. This has just been wonderful for all of us at Healthy Options. We wish you health and happiness, and please do join us next month for Healthy Options. Support for WERU comes from Inner Tapestry, a holistic journal.